Heavenly Father, prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive your word. May I very carefully open it up for our understanding, and would you, through your Holy Spirit, work in ways that I can't. May we be dependent upon you at all times, Lord, and may we come to the word of God as needy people, and may our hearts long for are in it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is a very easy thing to get lost. And uh, if you've ever been lost and not known where you were, it can be a very fearful and desperate situation. It's very common, and you hear news reports of day hikers, tourists, Sunday drivers, even experienced outdoorsmen getting lost in the wilderness and not knowing where to turn. And, and uh, when you're in that situation, you've got to be resourceful. You've got you to know where you can find your basic needs. You need to know where you can find water. Water is one of the most important things your body needs to survive. You can't go long without it. I think it's really important for us to note that in the Scriptures... Our human need for water is often compared to encouragement. Without encouragement, we can wither as well. We can dry up. Proverbs 25.25 says, Like cold water to the thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Isn't that what we, at times, that's all we need? Just to hear that things are okay? That things are going to be well again? especially when our hearts are heavy, especially when we are tormented with things that we can't change or fix that are far from us. Did you know that the Apostle Paul desperately needed encouragement? He is just a human being, a lot like us, but there were points along his journeys where he was desperate, desperate to hear good news. In fact, the outgrowth of this epistle was on the basis of him needing encouragement. Uh, Paul had just, before writing this letter, arrived in the city of Corinth, and he had been on a mission journey and had been in four cities previously to Corinth and had rough goes in each one of them. He was in Corinth, and he was uh, having a very difficult time with his emotions. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul said this, He said, I was feeling far from strong. I was nervous and rather shaky. You expect that from the Apostle Paul? I consider that to be a very touching revelation of humanity. And Paul was human, and he was discouraged at times. And he needed encouragement. So he sent Timothy out to Thessalonica, to, to understand better the situation. He had left the Thessalonians in a state of partial discipleship. He wasn't sure if they were still following the Lord. He was desperate for some news. He was concerned whether or not the work that he had invested was going to bear fruit. And he was concerned. And so he sent Timothy, and that's revealed to us in this book in chapter 3. But on the return, the report is good. The report is the report is very encouraging. And so he begins his letter with an expression of how he is so encouraged that God has been working in their life. 
And encouragement is so needed. And this morning, I want us to see how important it is for us to know where to find encouragement. Where does it come from? And kind of a, if you've You've got in your bulletin a little handout. Some of us, some of you had asked, oh, could we have that again? And I say, oh, here it is. If you want it, you can use it. But the big theme here in this first few verses that I see is that a deep, reviving river of encouragement can be yours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are three basic rivers, if you will, kind of like fountains flowing in these verses that kind of draw us towards the source of encouragement, which is found in Christ. The first is seen in verse 2, that encouragement arises out of an attitude of prayer, an attitude of prayer. In verse 2, Paul is giving thanks because he's encouraged. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering before our God and Father. He's, he's continually in this state. Now, the word continually here shouldn't be taken as a, a wooden, uh, literal meaning. It's, just, it's saying, I, 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 you're continually in my thoughts. Like, whenever I think of you, I pray for you. Like, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, there's an attitude or an activity that's being described here. Now, of course, it's more than an activity because it results in an attitude, excuse me, it's more than an attitude because it results in actual prayer. But there's an attitude here that builds and draws us towards a place of encouragement. You know, when I was a boy, our family was on deputation. That's the term that's often used to describe canvassing and support raising for financial mission support. Our family was in Wisconsin, and while we were there, I, as a young boy, heard an older man say in my hearing, and he was a, a very godly man, he said, I always remember you and your family each day in prayer. As a young man, that was a significant encouragement to me. And no doubt, this was an encouragement for this older man who couldn't be as active in the trenches of frontline mission work, but he was, he was being encouraged through this attitude of prayer, and he was being encouraged. It is amazing what an attitude of prayer can do for you. Prayer is a divine way for us to overcome discouragement. When we're discouraged, one of the most important things that we can do is not wallow in our discouragement, but tell the Lord that we are discouraged. It is one of the most important and productive things that you can do when you are in those dark times. The book of Psalms is full of words focused to God which tell him the discouragement that was in the writer's heart. And as the Psalms are filled out, what's seen is that a, a dark heart turns to light. The communication is so critical for the alleviation, and encouragement comes through telling someone who actually hears you. We have people that we can talk to, and do they really hear us? 
Well, they, they, there's eyes. Sometimes there's something on the other side of those eyes that kind of lets us know that they're hearing. But our God in heaven always hears and he always cares. Prayer is a divine way to lift anxiety. Prayer lifts anxiety. Paul was far, far away from the Thessalonians. He was uh, hundreds of miles away, and he was powerless to do anything about their situation. But he could pray. He could pray. And so often it is we spend so much of our time trying to influence people around us and try to get them to shape up. And will you just see what's going to, you know, what you need to do? And that is a, just can be a futile exercise of anxiety. No, we need to turn and tell the Lord who can do something in their heart. And third, prayer is a divine way to strengthen faith. There are at least three things that can come of prayer that pours on our souls like, like cold water. You know, as we pray to God, even the simple prayer of the, you know, the uh, the Lord's Prayer. You pray those words and there's a reflection upon how God provides for our daily need, but also the remembrance that He has provided for our daily need come to our mind. And as we are adore and we, we pray to God from the heart, we, we, we are reminded of all of the great power and the, and the strength that's in His personality. And we can be encouraged by that. And when we confess our sins, we find that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of these are encouragements for us that come through prayer and then cause us to give thanks. You know, prayer is a a fantastic way to receive encouragement but it is the most productive thing that we can do. We find that our hearts will be drawn to Him and we can be drawn to other people. In these verses, too, I want us to see that encouragement also arises from the awareness of growth. The awareness of growth in verse 3. Paul is remembering them and also acknowledging that growth has taken place in their, their life. He's heard the report. Now he's being encouraged by this tangible growth. In verse 3, it says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These are all aspects of growth, and he's seeing it, and he's encouraged by it. Now, our family just this week celebrated a ninth birthday. Do you remember when you used to be encouraged by a birthday? That's a little while ago now. When you're nine years old, it's like, I'm that much closer to life. I'm that much closer to getting a car. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to finish school, and I'm going to have independence and freedom. I don't have to be under dad anymore. You know, all of those growth things can be an encouragement to you. But no matter what your situation, hindsight is typically the way that we notice growth because it is so gradual. I had just recently attended an IFCA regional meeting down in Lancaster a couple weeks ago, and I just, uh, you know, as pastors talk, they say, you know, how are things going? And I said, you know what? I've been really encouraged. I have actually seen some real growth in people in my congregation. 
And I was particularly encouraged and reminded of how God was working in hearts and changing them. That is what it's all about. That's encouraging. And so, here, Paul is, Paul is encouraged, and, and he's encouraged that there's people who are changing and following to become like Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be growing and maturing? Well, Paul gives three words here that he often uses frequently. He uses the word love, faith, and hope. Faith, love, and hope in that order. But they come up frequently in Paul's writings. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And all three are right here. Now, the, the word... The words as they're in our text might feel a little wooden because when you see that little word of, it doesn't say a whole lot. But there's a lot that's actually under the surface there. It's what Paul is communicating there in particular, just going through the three phrases, that work is produced by faith. This work of faith, it's that faith which produces a work. That's the idea that he's trying to communicate here. We're not saved by works. We're his workmanship. But as we're saved by faith, there's, this faith doesn't remain alone. It, 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 there's, there's work that comes out of it. And so Paul is focusing on how that he is hearing that the work of Christ is actually alive and well in them and moving. And it's significant here that the word is singular. It's not works, plural, it's work. And so the emphasis here is on the whole, that God is doing something in their life. And so there's a root, there is faith, and there is production of fruit that's happening here. And so it's important for us to see that this, this working of Christ can happen in many different ways in a person's life. You know, there may be at times a purification that comes in our life. As soon as we, there is a, a whole purification, but when we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, we may find that in our heart there is a sudden distaste for things that are impure. That is a work of Christ. That is fruit. We may... Um, you know, I'm not thinking just merely of externals. Well, externals are important, but the heart, there's something that changes radically that results in a pure kind of life. 1 Corinthians 4, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4 in this book, Paul says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And so when you look at your life and you see, you know what, I used to have a hunger for this thing or this activity it's disgusting now. You can be encouraged that there is a work there that's real and alive. This work of faith might result in a, in a vocal evangelism, that you become spontaneous in your communication of truth to people who are lost. It may show up in the priorities of your life and how you organize your parenting and how you, you, your desires change and you prioritize church family events that may become a significant work that occurs in your heart and life. 
That's growth. Second word phrase that he has here is that he's encouraged by the labor that's prompted by love. This labor of love, it comes out of, this labor comes out of the love. It's prompted by it, if you will. There is, with labor, a difference than the word work. Now, when you hear the word work, you might feel it's all the same. But labor implies here a sacrificial investment. It goes beyond the ordinary expectations. It does that which is unexpected. It is not how we feel, but is actually what we should do. It would be expected if you've been blessed to bless other people. On the other hand, it is totally unexpected if you have been cursed by someone else and shunned and abused to extend love to that person. That would require labor. That would require a volitional choice. That's growth. That's the Holy Spirit. You know, God doesn't ask us to do something that He is unwilling. That's exactly what He did for us at the cross. Third phrase here that Paul is encouraged by as he sees that there is an endurance that's inspired by hope. This phrase, steadfastness of hope, the hope which produces or inspires endurance. This is a hope that's more than wishful thinking, it's knowing and then acting on and believing. Now, this, this letter was written to a church that was going through some persecution. Now, they weren't going through the great persecution, the great tribulation that would come. But this group of believers, some of them felt like they were. And there is a truth that we may face terrible days ahead. We may not necessarily live through the great tribulation. We will be raptured, we know. But there is truth for us even here today. And I think it's important for us to look at our situation. Look at our lives. We need to look over a couple of years. Notice, is there been growth in our hearts? Is there growth that we can take encouragement in? And you know what? If you see growth in somebody else, you ought to encourage them. You need to tell them, you know what? I have seen you grow. You wouldn't have handled this this way years ago, but now look at what God is doing in your heart. I'm rejoicing with you. And this is exactly what Paul is doing here in these opening lines. So he's taking encouragement. There's in the attitude of prayer, there is the, the encouragement that comes through, through awareness of growth. And the third area of encouragement that Paul takes is the encouragement here, I think we can see, arises out of an appreciation for our salvation. An appreciation for our salvation, verses 4 through 5. Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came not uh, only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. If the Holy Spirit is alive within you, it is something to be encouraged by. 
It's a signal. The presence of the Holy Spirit points to something even more foundational. It points to the amazing grace of God in your life. That salvation is not your doing, but God's. He chose you. The old King James reads, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Knowing the controversy that sometimes words carry, some translations will soften word choice. And maybe that's more controversial, maybe. But the word chosen here is a little bit softer in my ears. I don't think that we ought to fear, though, the doctrine of the biblical doctrine of election. It's not intended to create laziness. It's not intended to create anxiety or irresponsibility. It's intended to encourage us in two ways. And it is a mystery. But it is a mystery that's filled with encouragement. That ultimately salvation is of God and not us. And secondly, if it is of God and not us, then we are safe in His love. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And the more comfortable that we get with the awareness that God saves us wholly and thoroughly, the greater the strength of encouragement that we can glean from that. And so Paul recognizes that there's evidences here in in, in this work of God in their hearts. And Paul gives three evidences of God's working here in their hearts. And it stands out to me here in the text. He says in verse 4, excuse me, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in. So in other words, this faith came by hearing the word of Christ. The gospel came not only in word, but also in power. But it at least had to come in word. It had to be declared. The word about Christ had to be shared. It had to be heard. There's a general call that's being described here. You know, Paul, wherever he went, he preached the gospel that was about Christ. He, he shared the good news. He talked about um, from this Torah. He talked to the Jews from the Torah and explained how this all points to Jesus. And when he was with Gentiles, he, he talked about the truths of the gospel, and he got to Christ through it. But it was all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this general call is important, and, and I it's a description of what has happened, but there has to be something there inside the heart that takes and roots. There has to be power in the Holy Spirit. So when Paul speaks here about the power of the Holy Spirit, he's not just referring to the miracles. Now, when they taught, there was also at times God's own initiative, a miraculous healing that may have occurred in the city that pointed to the reality of what they were saying. But what Paul is saying here is that when the word was preached, there was also power in the activity, in the background that caused us to take root within one's heart. And the effect of the Holy Spirit here can make happen what we can't make happen. I mean, this is a truth we all understand, and we realize is that we, we, we share the truth of the gospel with people, we love them, we care for them, and 
But we have to pray and depend upon God to do something in the heart, to waken their hearts and minds. This is what it means to be born again. The Spirit moves and the wind blows and we don't know where it's coming from, but we know the results. We see a changed life. We know it has happened. We didn't do it. We shared the Word and something happened and God did something. So there is an effectual power that must occur. But we can take encouragement in that. A third sign that Paul sees here in the lives of uh, the Thessalonians is that there's a, it says this all happened and there was full conviction. So there's a transformation. There is a transformation which is inevitably the fruit of repentance. Paul's not saying here that true faith requires believers always have complete assurance. That's not what this conviction is talking about. Because true believers at times can doubt that they are actually saved. That is a sensitivity that might be overwrought. But it's possible that through the ups and downs, you may feel unstable and lack some assurance. But Paul is saying here that there, he is fully persuaded and that their, that their conviction And the spirit work within them has propelled them to endure through suffering. They're not going to turn away now. There is a fullness of conviction that's going to carry them through. This root has taken and this plant's not going to die. It might be pruned by times, but it's going to flourish. It raises an interesting question for us. Is it possible to be a Christian and not bear significant evidence of it? Some would suggest that you can make a profession but not live as if he were Lord. Although faith may be present, there may be no fruit that doesn't show. And I would say that it's possible. With God, all things are possible. It's entirely possible. But the weight of Scripture seems to indicate that with a full conviction, there will be fruit that will manifest, there will be growth that will be discernible. It may require a few weeks, it may require a couple of months, but over a longer look back, you're going to see some fruit and you're going to see some growth and change and transformation. This is what happens when we are born again. We start to resemble the one who birthed us. We start to look like our Heavenly Father. Even adopted children begin to look and sound like their adoptive parents. Anna says things that makes us howl now. She repeats things that, you got to be careful. She repeats things, and it's like talk back. I think I just heard myself say that. But that's how it is when we are born again. We start to take on the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. And then we begin to love others as we have been loved. And we begin to resemble our brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that we all do need encouragement. And that's what this text is for. It's for our encouragement. 
There is a deep river here that flows, and there's, I think, three reasonable channels which can draw our hearts to true encouragement in Jesus Christ. If we adopt an attitude of prayer, if we, we look and can see tangible growth, we ought to be encouraged and then grow in our appreciation of what God has done in our heart. That can fill us with an intense encouragement. I'm told that when the famous American painter Benjamin West was a boy, this is back in the 1700s, Pennsylvania, actually. He decided to become a painter after a little event that occurred in his home. He decided that when his mother was away from the house, he would decide he was going to paint a picture of his sister. And uh, so he gathered his little bottles and his little ink quills, and he began to get everything ready for a painting of his sister. And when his mother came home, he found a disaster. Like there was like ink everywhere. It, it, you know, you could visualize this in your own home if you have young children. And so what the mother did, rather than looking at the mess, she looked at the picture, she kissed her son, and said, what a beautiful picture of your sister. And he said, with that kiss... I became a painter. We all need encouragement. But the greatest kiss that we can have comes from our Heavenly Father. And His love flows for us deep and wide. It's a river flowing deep and wide. So this morning, I want us to be encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This letter is a gem. It's beautiful. I'm looking forward to going through this in weeks ahead. Looking at how we, we can see the simplicity of just discipling of other people. We get to see the, the joy of anticipating the second return of Jesus Christ. We look forward to the rapture of the church. We learn about generosity and responsibility, leadership and submission, and a responsiveness to the purifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm really looking forward to this, this uh, series, and I hope you will be too. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your Word. I pray that we would deeply be encouraged, that our hearts would, would yearn for more meat from the Word, that we would hunger and thirst after righteousness, and Lord, that we would ultimately delight in You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.